0: Epiphany Fellowship's podcast, where our goal is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. We pray that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message
1: and will allow the word of God to dwell in you richly. Amen, amen, amen. All right, so how many of y'all been tracking with us through our series on liberties? Amen. So Um, What we're going to be doing today is we're going to be doing a panel, and I'm excited about this panel because we have some wonderful people that are going to be on this panel with us. We have a a dear friend of ours of many years. Um, We went to seminary with her. She's a missionary to Cameroon, Africa, and does a lot of ministry there and has built some deep relationships there on that continent. Dr. Kristen Campbell, she'll be a part of the panel. Um, We also have... um, uh, Kevin Lockett, who's over our media ministry. He'll be a part. And I don't know if you follow him on TikTok, but check out some of his stuff that he's doing. He'll be on the panel, Brother Joe King. Uh, the work with our men's ministry. Been here nine years, serving faithfully. Amen. Let's give God a hand. Praise for him and his sweet wife, Dawn. Also, um, we have uh, Dr. Sarita Lyons over our women's ministry and director of Churchwide Discipleship. Also, we'll have Davon, who is at uh, Lancaster Bible College? She'll be up here with us as well. <laughs> and he serves everywhere. I mean, when you just ask him to come, he'd do whatever. He's in the media, media sh- ministry specifically, but he's an octopus in relation to how he does ministry. So we're so proud of him and thankful for him. I'm also, we have our very own Pastor Kurt. He will be with us. Don't need no introduction. And then we have. Pascale Mobley, who uh, is serving on our teaching team uh, uh, for our, our, our SALT ministry, and she teaches on the team and as well as, amen. <laughs> and Sarah Lowney, she will be with us today, and she is uh, also on the teaching team, but she also uh, works here at the church as our business manager. Amen? Amen, amen, amen. amen. So watch y'all hit the stage, y'all, and let's dig in. <laughs> And we're going to go ahead and dig into this. And this time is, we asked y'all to send in questions. And so uh, we got some of the questions. And I'm going to let you know we, we had to work through some of them because some of them had nothing to do with Christian liberty. It's just you shooting your shot. We love you, but we're not going to deal with that. But what we are going to do, by God's grace, is we are going to deal with these Christian liberty questions. And we got a lot of a lot, a lot of good questions. And we're going to start off with the fundamentals of that. Uh, Thank you, Uh, and we're gonna start out with the first of those. Let's pray and dig in. Father, thank you for this time and opportunity. God God our hearts and mouths and minds, and Lord, um, I pray that the church can be an environment where there's not hypersensitivity about relational mistakes. Um, And some people I know that they've dealt with trauma and different things, and then there's trauma transfer and projection. And God, I just pray that as we work through this, that if someone doesn't say it fully right, that we can work through it. Um, But I pray that if someone's ministered to, that guess what? They respond. Let the words of our mouths and meditation of our hearts be acceptable in Jesus' name, amen? Amen. So, we to start this off with so many of our questions are answered in the Bible. So why don't people care about what the Bible says? Uh, Brother Joe King, why don't you take that one on? So many of our questions are answered in the Bible. So why don't, we, uh, why don't people care about what the Bible says, you think?
2: Well, um, earlier today, as discussed in our first service, I think it was well put that, uh, first and foremost, there isn't the reverence uh, or the respect for God or his word, Um, starting from there as the basis obviously would be the leading point where most folks, and and we're talking about believers too, by the way, or those who confess the name of Christ, that uh, do not truly believe or trust in the Lord. Uh, Proverbs 3 and 5 through 6, obviously, a scripture that says that, lean not unto our own understanding, um, but to trust in the Lord. So uh, to keep it brief, I would suggest that that's the biggest reason. We just don't trust and believe in the Lord.
1: Amen, thank you for that. For saying keep it brief, don't forget y'all concise. Amen, amen, amen. Um, Let me come to, uh, let me come to uh, Pascal on this. And why do you think it's so important to talk through liberty issues and life decisions with other trusted, mature believers?
3: I think that um, when we're left to our own devices, we kind of see things through like rose colored glasses, our feelings kind of lead us, our desires lead us. Um, or our culture leads us or whatever, but um, scripture says in a multitude of counselors, there is safety. And so I think um, the way to move safely and to move in a way that honors the Lord, we would invite other people in to make sure that we're seeing things and moving the right way.
1: That's good. Dr. Sarita, um, uh, clinical question. How can we help people who tend to experience loving correction in uh, as abusive control? How do we help people that take loving correction as abusive control? Dr. Campbell, um, is missing gatherings uh, a Christian liberty? I mean, and so I think it's a good question because it's asked in the context of the pandemic, and people now wake up in the morning and may say, "Man, I don't feel like getting the kids ready," or "I had a tough night last night and whatever I was doing," <laughs> and the next day, you know, I'm. I'm gonna fall back and just watch from my bed or watch from my living room. And it become a perpetual norm. And like now, the average person comes to church once a month. So do you think that's biblical? And do you think it's, um, it's healthy? What, what, Dr. Campbell, uh, can, uh, can I say this? Well, I reposted all of the church's stuff. I put it up there. I'm kind of in community because a bunch of us p- pushed like, and the like had a lot of likes when I helped repost it. So reposting it in the community, Dr. Campbell, can you help me out with the fact that I'm in community, technologically in community, so so help me out. What's the difference between physically gathering, looking at somebody in the face, and I looked in the camera and saw the faces?
4: Because it's, it's an opportunity to be like, an opportunity. That's what's up.
1: That's what's up. That's good. So let's. Can, can I can Dana? I say something real quick, Pastor? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm
0: sorry, I don't need it. I, I think I, as much as we love social media, I think one of the dangers is that social media gives us the illusion of connectedness. And and if if you look even at studies with as much as you would assume the world is connected via social media, we are the most disconnected generation, which is why you see increases in mental health issues. But, but, but again, should it surprise us, given what's written in 2 Peter, that your enemy, the adversary, is like a lion seeking whom he may devour. And so don't be fooled that it could, because it, you, don't be fooled by thinking that you're connected and in community because you can visibly watch something happen from afar. You're not, and you're in danger. And we want to be the kind of community that can herd up with one another and protect one another from danger that we can't see on our own.
1: You know, it's interesting. Um, we t- if you look at boxing, if you look at sports, right? How many of you have been to a sports event? How many of you watch sports events? How does it feel being at the sports event versus watching it? Totally different, right? But we treat everything else differently. Like you should have been there. I know, man, I wanted to go. When have we ever did that with church versus football? You know, um, like the shouting that went on in here, I don't, the Holy Spirit is omnipresent, but it ain't the same shouting in front of your TV. Tell me hallelujah. You can't hear the bass hit you. You can't hear that drum hit you. You can't hear nobody say hey. You know, I don't know. Just me. <laughs> There's so much nuance that going in the gathering. You see, Sister Tanya say hallelujah, 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 and hearing Brother Frank yelling, and everybody over here me yelling too. All of us yelling too. So it's different, right? But this next church, we're going, we going to move this along a little bit and turn the treadmill up just a little bit. Weed.
4: I'm
1: gonna get Pastor Kirsten, since you was talking between you, I'm going to get this to the fellas. Cause I don't hear a lot about women smoking weed, we know they do, but we see a lot of men rolling spliffology, so.
0: The sisters be getting it, dog.
1: <laughs> so, is weed a Christian liberty or not? That's basically the question. It's kind of like a question, is it, is it or not, right? This person's saying. So, um, basically they're saying, from the sermon, it is clear that drinking cigarettes and cigars are a liberty. Now, when I say drinking is a liberty, you know what that means. So don't, that don't mean I can take it to the head 50 times, right? Are a liberty, but I wasn't clear on weed. Pastor Kurt, start that off for me, and that brothers try, chime in a little bit. Yeah. Um, so, for the record,
0: I thought you were relatively clear on, on the weed conversation, but... Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, especially when we're talking about this idea of being inebriated or being, and, and the need to be sober-minded uh, as Christians, and um, you know, I'll be the first to to admit, like I'm not a doctor, I, like I, I don't know everything that there is to know about this weed conversation. However, I do know um, that a lot is made of trying to create an apples. To apples comparison between alcohol and weed, uh, and and it's not an apples to apples comparison uh, because you can manage how much you drink in order to get drunk, right? And the intent behind that—if you want to get drunk with alcohol, you can drink enough so that you can ju- you can get drunk, right? But I know a lot of people—you know—they like they'll have a little glass of wine as they you know you know watch their little shows at the end of the night and and all that type of stuff, right? When we're talking about the weed conversation, and, and maybe this is me, so correct me if I'm wrong, but nobody with, and, I, and this is not talking about the medicinal use of weed. We know there are medicinal uses of weed, right? When you smoke weed, you're smoking to get high. Absolutely. Like, and, and may, maybe, I, I was never a weed smoker, so I don't know, but maybe there are people in your circle who just wanna take one puff and just be like, I just wanted to see how it tasted. Nope. And so, you know, e- e- even if we just start from the motivation comes, a-, a lot of times that question comes, to be- and to be honest, this is just my personal experience, but the majority of people who hammer that question home, the weed is really not the issue, if, I- if I'm honest. Usually, there are other areas of their lives that are just as licentious, and, and as a rule, They're looking for anything they can do, to straddle the fence or sin and it be justified. (laughs) And so, I mean, that's that's my take. I know it's a bigger conversation, unless I'm not realizing. So, I I
5: think I'll be real quick. When I think about, I was about to call them the weeds, the weed smokers. Um, you you got a lot of people advocating for it and trying to find, like, build a framework for it. And so my original thought when I seen the question is a lot of times you'll have guys, girls too, but that build up a whole, like, entire theology of why weed is right, why weed is good. But I would just ask them to compare that to their theology about the Bible, about their theology about Jesus. Um, and it most times will pale into comparison, which goes back to Pastor Gert's point. It's just us trying to, um, even throughout the Liberty series, we're trying to make it okay. Right. Uh, again, aside from medicinal use and, and then people say they got medicinal cars, yeah, but you got you found the back door through that, like we ain't stupid <laughs> um, so that's what I look at my it my as my. just kind of comparing the theology of your weed and you can tell us every everything, you can tell us everything um, about weed, but when it comes to um, the Bible, Jesus anything, any type of doctrine you're so divorced from it, so I mean I think that ports to more of a heart issue yeah, I think the
1: key is, the Bible talks about the social uses of like drinking with other people, it's social. Like, smoking weed is not very social. I'ma just be honest with you. I remember when I was in college. I'm in a room, they put the black light on. That's the fluorescent joint that make all of the psychedelic things light up. And when you pass in the weed, the conversation just goes down. Um, You're like, man. <laughs> you know what, man? Um, I think the rabbits. Uh, <laughs> that border, you see that running across the rabbits, man. God, when He made rabbits, it's interesting that He calls it a hit. We we be philosophizing, laughing, and it just goes down. You know, I mean. And so, those of you who have used drugs know that you can't use drugs recre- Like like when I went to the doctor, they said, "Do you use drugs recreationally?" That doesn't make sense to me. If you, in a rec, if the recreation to me is movement. <laughs> like I can't say I'm using heroin recreationally. Yeah. Like, so anyway, that's just past this take. Let's, let's move to another question. Cause I'm starting to get, oh, we do need to talk about this. So no, 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 We We dealt with that. We dealt with that. So I'm coming back to the, uh, to everybody. But um, uh, Davon, I want you to hit this up, right? Tattoos. You know, you tatted. Yeah, so,
5: so I think I ain't um, asked the question yet. Oh, oh, oh! I'm going based on. They don't right know here. the question. I'm you sorry, ready to go? I'm sorry, go ahead.
1: He ready to light go the ahead. world up for Jesus. Uh, <laughs> um, w- like the Bible talks about Leviticus, you know, nineteen, twenty-eight about tattoos, not getting tattoos. W- walk us through. Um, is it okay for Christians to get tattoos?
5: Yeah. So I think. Um in my theological study that I just did. (laughs) Um, I think it's more important, the context is important because if you read the passage, it also talks about shape ups, um, trimming your beard, um, and tattoos are in there too. Um, And it was for, the Leviticus was for Israel to be seen as a set-apart people, and there were certain ways that they were to operate um, to be distinct from the nations, right? Um, But the gospel, as we know, is to the nations, and so after Christ's redeemed work and the gospel goes to the nations, there's no there's a distinction, but not necessarily between us and the nations anymore, right? Um, and then ultimately, Christ came to fulfill the law, right? And so a lot of times when people bring up that question, um, it, it could be somebody in the church, it could be a finely pressed pastor. But I'm looking, he got a fresh shape up. So you're talking to me about tattoos, but you got shape up, right? So, um, so that's what I think. I don't think it's a sin. I do think um, some of us can overdo. I'm an overdoer, and so the, I'm the product of overdoing, right? Um, and probably wasting my money, um, but. Tattoos, in and of itself, is it a sin? I would say no.
1: All right, I want um, between, uh, oh, somebody else want to say something? Okay. I want between Sarah and Kev to tackle this one a little bit, right? So, um, horoscopes. Like, I'm a Sagittarius. You know, I'm a, I'm a Gemini. You know, I got two different parts of me. Jim and I mean twin. So you're going to see this part of me today, but tomorrow you, you don't know what you're going to get from me because that's my horoscopical ph- philosophical construct. You understand? And you know, back in the day we had the newspaper. So you look at your horoscope for the day, so y'all don't know nothing about that. And then you feel like that's how you, that would be your prophetic, that was your devotional. Y'all, see, Mom Dale, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? And so, and so, man, you watch the thing. Man, talk to me about, like, I hear Christians though, in their, in their, um, um, they're, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Thank you, baby, and thank you, son, byline, yeah. <laughs> Say that they are they they want to be defined by a personality trait in the stars. What which, which you all take biblically
6: on that? that? That's super interesting because I know what you mean because I've heard people even talk about, oh, Mercury retrograde is happening, so I can't get my hair cut today. Just crazy things <laughs> that pop off. But if we look at what astrology is um, versus astronomy, astronomy is the science and study of the moon, the stars, the celestial, all of that. That is not what astrology is. Astrology astrology is man's attempt to interpret the stars, the moon, and everything celestial, the planetary alignment to dictate human influence, (laughs) and future and destiny of a person. So my question is, why are we looking at God's creation to dictate our identity versus looking at our God who tells us who we are in him?
7: (laughs) Amen. Only, only thing I would add to that, Bible says rejoice, for the steps of a righteous man are ordered by God. So it's not Venus, Mercury. That's not ordering your steps. That's not where your trust is. That's not where your confidence is. It's in the Lord.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Lord have mercy. The doors of the church are open. Yoga. Can I get in Downward Dog? What, look, talk to me. Somebody don't even know what that is. What's with Dog? That sounds something different. No, it's actually <laughs> yoga, right? So talk to me about is yoga like, because I, I get a lot of, I mean, I get a lot of questions about it and I understand it. I've heard different things about it. Um, I've heard someone that was in the occult talk about what it was for them. It was a very, very interesting Deal, I have my thoughts on it, but I, w- I wanna let the panel talk a little bit. So, so what what, what, what? what is our thoughts on yoga? And what do we believe about, is, is yoga okay to partake in?
2: So, I like to work out, right? <laughs> you know, I've got weights and all that kind of stuff. Um, And honestly, the participation of that um, allows me to, you know, exert myself. And um, afterwards, I do feel relieved from maybe the stress of the day before because I do it in the morning. Um, But when you think about yoga and the context behind all of that, there's the added spiritual part of it, which is not biblical. And it just goes back to what the panel has basically said thus far about where we put our trust in. Okay, so when you start thinking about things that go outside the context that are theologically behind the scripture, the Bible, be specific here for everyone who's listening, um, then we put ourselves outside the will of God in many contexts because now you're being driven away. And it's so subtle, you know, Um, yoga itself as far as the the routines, the I mean, none of that is... It's bad. I mean, I, in fact, I do it myself to stretch and all of those things. But I think we have to be cautious about before we engage ourselves to understand what really is behind it. And particularly, you can still use the exercise routines and things that are behind it.
1: That's good. You about to say something? Okay, you're good. You know, one of the things that I think is a good, this is a good teaching moment for Christians. One of the things that we have to work through is what's redeemable and what's not redeemable right and so so the, the principle of redeemability like i can't say i'm going to be i'm redemptive by applying the satanic bible to my life like i just need to stay away from that that's in jesus name right but like like so but if something like for instance the the pentateuch which is the first five books of the bible were some of it was taken not taken but the format for it was from the Hittite treaties, right? The format or laws, you know. um, Even some unbelievers use the Hammurabi text against Christianity, talking about the forms, right? The form of the thing. But God, like God used letters, he used books um, that was created by the ingenuity of man. That doesn't mean, well, they use books for this so I can't use books for that. No, the book in and of itself is made of God's creation and can be used. So the question we, and this is what I was talking about when we started the series about you know, how to think versus what to think. One of the things you gotta think about in what to think, and this even goes for, if we get to it, the whole for Sunday sorority thing, it goes to, for, for a lot of different things in life. Is something redeemable or is it fundamentally flawed? That which is fundamentally flawed can't be redeemable. You can't redeem fornication. No. Yeah. You understand? you know you can't redeem lying that's fundamentally flawed but a mechanism if i if i did a stretch we made fun of the the name of that stretch but it's a certain type of stretch that people do and is that is stretching fundamentally wrong if it is helpful based on what's called general revelation right and so as we think through this is a very important thing to think through when we think through like we said weed isn't fundamentally wrong cigars, or, or tobacco rather, is not fundamentally wrong. And so we have to begin thinking through fundamental creative ability, not just what's created in its raw state, but also when man gets his hand on it, how man utilizes that particular thing and turns it into something and how it's used, is that fundamentally wrong? Even if the reasoning was wrong, but it can be used for something else. So I want us to really, really think, that's a really, really foundational kind of biblical principle thing. So let's, let's, let's turn it up a little bit, just a little bit. So, is using contraceptives a sin? Now, I'm going to start naming y'all now. Everybody looking to the left, to the left, to the left. Everybody looking all over the place. I ain't saying nothing. Go ahead. Go ahead. You want me? Go ahead, Pastor Kerr. Um.
0: Short answer: No, it's not a sin to use contraceptive. Right? We look at Genesis chapter one. God gives the command to man and man and woman, man and woman, uh, be fruitful and multiply. Right? Uh, And so, you know, a lot of times we get asked that question: What does that exactly mean? Like, you know, because in some Christian cultures, it's like you're you you've got to have a certain number of kids. Um, and the, you know, the Bible doesn't specify what fruitful looks like for every single married couple, right? Um, I, I think the, the big part of what we have to get to is for uh, each couple that, again, is utilizing sex God's way through marriage, God's way, is how are we being fruitful in a way that honors the Lord, right? And a lot of it has to do with motive, right? Like, do, like, are, because again, if you're talking about a, a couple that maybe is experiencing health issues and can't have children, or are struggling to have children, you can't say that they're not being fruitful, right? They might not be able to multiply, but it doesn't mean that they are not fruitful in their marriage, in their representation of who God is, right? Um, so there, there could be a lot of medical reasons that are necessary for you know, using contraception, right? Like me and, my, me and my wife have four children, and we decided to stop after four. Amen, somebody. <laughs> you know? Like, could we have had more? Amen. We could have had plenty more. We could have kept having children as long as we were able. And four for us was a number to say, bless God, we've been fruitful and multiplied. <laughs> um, for, for some couples, that may be one. For some, it may be two. For some, it may be 12, right? And I, and I think on, on one hand, you know, a lot of times we, 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 we can unnecessarily do damage to people by looking down on them for having too many children, and for having, quote unquote, not enough children. Uh, And so I really think it it has more to do with the motivation of how you want to honor the Lord in being able to participate with God in producing child bearers. I mean, producing other image bearers. Because really, when you have children, that's what we're doing. We're participating with God in creating image bearers. And what greater opportunity do we have than to bring other image bearers into the world to glorify his name. And so for couples that are able to do that, praise God, let's do that well. For couples who may have some issues, we are gonna keep praying, because we got some miracle babies in the audience right now. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, but but I think it really has to do more of, it's more of a motive and intention of the heart issue. Like you, you can't just be like, man, I don't wanna have kids because I'm gonna travel the world all the time. Right? Like we're not saying that it's wrong to travel the world and to wanna get your money up. Um, but, but is, is there a part of you participating as a married couple in God's kingdom that allows you to see childbearing as the blessing that it is?
1: Yeah, and, and when it was given in Genesis, it was given when the population on the planet was low. And God wanted his glory throughout the earth through people. Now we got the Great Commission, so it says go into the world. So I think some, if, this is a good, another good principle. If the Bible is silent on something that's not a sin, it might be a liberty. Does that make sense? So we have to be careful of speaking where the Bible doesn't as making something a law that the Bible didn't say. It's very dangerous. That's called legalism. Yeah. We talk about that term all the time, right? So if someone says, you know, you use a car, you're supposed to be fruitful and multiply, well, the earth is filled with people. So, uh, but, but, but great. Sta- that's, that was a great stab at that. Um, that's good pastoral advice. Now let's go to the next one, and we'll work through this one really, really quickly. And then we'll go to the next one after that. So i got a lot of questions on masturbation, okay? Um, y'all quiet when I said that, all right. So I want to I wanna talk about, let's talk about first um, the purposes of sex. So when we talk about the purposes of sex, um, the, what's the original, see, you don't start with is masturbation okay? You start with God's purpose for something. So many times we start with the thing we want to do, versus start with God's purpose for it, uh-huh. right? So, what's the purpose of sex? Um, the purpose of sex is procreation, recreation, protection, affection, and connection. Okay, and so when we look at those, those are all in the Bible. You know, those are the those are the five and consummation. Uh, I, I think I said that, but um, th- those are those are in uh, companionship. So, those are a lot of. Uh, 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 functions. Now, all five of those happen with how many people? Supposedly in the Bible, not. Like, because I know somebody, well, Lord, Jesus help us. How, uh, those things biblically are supposed to happen between what type of people? Give me some answers. Marriage, Marriage between who? Man. All right. That, so So we, that's the foundation for sex, right? Everything else got to answer that question. Yes. Do you understand? Yes. So we start there. Now, though, if we're asking about masturbation, masturbation fundamentally is self-pleasure. 1 Corinthians says a husband should please his wife and a wife should please her husband. And it's focused, a gospel-centered sex means, uh, please, If uh, forgive me, don't send me no letter. Tell me. So let me say this, th- let the words of my mouth and the meditations, let me say this right. So sex is supposed to be you focus on the other one's pleasure. That's the gospel. So when both are other sent it, y'all good. Hallelujah. Right? And there are sometimes where there are hookups. We'll talk about this in other times in a marriage context. But that's the function of that. Now let's go to masturbation. Now we got a quick biblical theology of that. I want to do this because this is, I got so many questions on this. It's crazy. But masturbation is in the Bible. Jesus actually talks about masturbation. He says it in Matthew 5, 27 through 30. He says, you have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So adultery here is used as a general term for all types of sexual immorality. That's how the Old Testament uses the word adultery. They didn't have a word for fornication in Hebrew. They had it in Greek, but Jesus used the word adultery here, right? So, um... So when we get here, he's looking at her, so he's not touching her. Remember, this passage isn't two people having intercourse or having had touched each other. The person is looking at the person. Now it says, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose your one of your parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Then it says, and your right hand causes you to sin. Now, how can your right hand cause you to sin if you're not touching the other person? See, the Bible says things without saying it in crude ways. And basically, he's saying here self-pleasure is wrong because it trains you. I, can, I got a whole thing on it, on how self-pleasure trains you. It trains both men and women. You can't say you're celibate and masturbating. That's not celibacy. OK? You, you can't say you're, you, you, we're not having sex, but you and someone else are mutually masturbating each other. Okay, now in the context of marriage, somebody asked, can you do that in marriage? Re Song of Solomon and enjoy yourself. (laughs) All right, next question. That's this for y'all. So ladies, I want y'all to dig into this one. It's the one from earlier. Um, um, My question is about modesty. I don't think I have heard, and I gotta read this whole thing because I do think it needs a lot of context. Um, I don't think that I have ever heard the topic of modesty addressed by the church in a way that didn't feel condescending of women, objectifying sexualizing of women, hyper focused on female modesty while neglecting male modesty. I want to hear your biblically-based and culturally-aware perspectives on modesty and Christian liberties. I want to be mindful and considerate of other Christians, but if I'm honest, I don't feel peace about men telling me how to dress because I tempted them. I grew up around Christians who blame women for all men's lust, and every conversation I've heard about modesty tends to remind me of that. I have had a hard time submitting to Christian ideas of modesty, So the the person asking asking this question here. I've had a hard time submitting to Christian ideas of modesty, not because I want to be immodest, but because it makes me feel controlled, uh, um, like the only way I can be viewed as a woman is being sexual, is it possible to practice modesty but not be blamed for how men and women look at me based on what I wear? Ladies, let go.
3: Um, I'll start us off. So I first wanna just address the fact that what is Implied whether she's aware of it or not and the question is her interaction and maybe injury from toxic purity culture That put a lot of emphasis on the woman being the sole bearer of responsibility for sexual purity for um, Controlling a man's lust of her and really blamed women for fornication and didn't hold men to the same standard Um, so I'm sorry that she had that either incomplete or inaccurate biblical teaching. The other thing is modesty is not a term that is solely uh, something that are for women. But I would encourage you, because we don't have time now, to search the scriptures just on modesty and notice how often God actually um, gives commands around modesty specifically to women. And because God doesn't make any mistakes, we have to own that there is significance. So I think it's important to actually define and understand modesty biblically. Um, I think it's important for us to understand that modesty is not just in dress, because we often limit it to that discussion, which does men and women a disservice. But you can have immodest speech. You can have immodest behavior. You can have immodest attitudes. Right. And also in modest dress is not just the showing off of the body, but I believe in modest dress is also in what we allow ourselves to be written on some of our t-shirts uh, so people are walking around with profanity on their t-shirts and things like that. So modesty is an issue for both men and women. Fundamentally, I think we have to go back to the garden and understand why modesty is so critical. Ladies and gentlemen, there was a fall. And when there was a fall, the Bible says their eyes were open and now they are seeing themselves having been in scripture as naked. Now they are naked and have shame. So they did not have any shame prior to the fall. Now they have been unc- Now they are, their eyes are open because of sin. And this is when we are seeing that we now have private parts. Adam and Eve immediately went to fig leaves to cover themselves. A substance that God created that would die and would not last as a covering. But they now need to be covered. God slaughters an animal. First picture of what will be coming in terms of substitutionary atonement in the slaying of Jesus. And he covers them. God is the one. He didn't just cover Eve. He didn't just cover the woman. He he covered the man and the woman. And so I think it's important for us to know that You know, at the end of the day, when she said, I don't want to just be seen as a a sexual being. Well, we are much more than our sexuality, but we are sexual beings, both men and women. And we have to think about how do we move throughout the world with charity and grace toward brothers and sisters? Because men can be immodest, too. Men can show off too much chest. Men can show off too much legs. And men and women know when they're flexing which is why we need the Holy Spirit. So if you start feeling that you know you have put this on or didn't put that much on because you were trying to draw attention, it is imperative for us to remember the Bible says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? And so here we are now housing the residency of the Holy Spirit. God is in us. So what we all should be commended to consider is as I dress, as I move through the world, as I speak, as I behave, as I think about my attitude, am I pointing people to the God in me or am I pointing them to my private parts?
1: Anybody else on that?
6: Yes, Um, I would like to add too, especially in the context of Christian liberties, we need to also remember as Christians, we're talking amongst ourselves to people who have said yes to Jesus Christ being their Lord and Savior. Mm-hmm. So meaning there is a submission to, to, to Jesus as Lord. And the question needs to arise, if, is what I'm doing um, glorifying God? Um, and when we said yes to Jesus and in being a new creation, old things are passed away. So if those old ways of how we were immodest was a thing, We have to realize that we have a new way of doing things. And not only that, I like how 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, when it talks about, behold, all things become new, old things passed away, he also notes, and then we become ambassadors, ambassadors for Christ, meaning we are representatives of God and his kingdom. So I think we need to keep in mind that as we're representing God and his kingdom, is this a good reflection of Jesus? And does this kill my testimony as I try to witness to the world?
1: That's good, that's good. Let's go, to a, let's go to another one. I wanna cover another one. I think we got that one down a bit. Um, everybody, so uh, dating in the Christian way uh, seems so tricky. How do I let a brother know I'm interested without throwing myself at him?
7: Go on, y'all. So I'm, I'm the resident single man on the panel <laughs> so um, I would I would just say to my sisters just don't um, for a lot of us um, we know that we don't do as good of a job as we should of pursuing relationships and there's a lot of reasons for that it can have to do with past hurt or trauma it could have to do with immaturity it could have to do with insecurity um, I would I would say the type of men that you want to pursue you are the ones who take relationships and marriage the most seriously, and so they're the ones that are gonna be the most cautious, the most contemplative about making that decision. And I would say, you know, give, uh, give, give the Holy Spirit the space to do his sanctifying work in us instead of jumping the gun and freeing us from the responsibility of confronting those things in our past. Like, you gotta have the patience. Like, I, 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 would, I would rather be forced to deal with what the Holy Spirit wants me to deal with than have you take that responsibility off my shoulders. Cause then I don't have to do it, but I also don't get to grow into the man that God wants me to be. So go ahead, go
1: ahead, go ahead, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, 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 I want you to. I want okay. you to.
4: Yeah, no, that's good. yeah The journey, right? Enjoy serving God, being single. There's some there's freedom. And and let me say something in light of this whole series. If you at the end of this series are just looking for an opportunity to say, how can I live right in the margin on the edge? Just to say, okay, I'm still holy, I'm still walking with the Lord, you know, Uh then you've missed the whole point of (laughs) the journey. Stand fast in the liberty where you free. And be not in town again, but go abide. Amen. Oh, amen, amen.
1: Amen. Um, couple things on this, because I wanna, I, I wanna ask this as we begin to land it, right? One of the things I want everybody who's single to think, who wants to be married, um, again, we're not saying that your singleness is, you're not a person until you're married. That's not what we're saying, but you ask the question. So I, I don't want y'all feeling like, hey, the church focused so much on marriage. That's not what we're trying to do. You ask the question, so we're answering it. One of the things that take the pressure off you is the whole idea of the one. Right, that's not necessarily a biblical concept. Um, That sometimes God can lead you to a person where you know, with this is you feel like that's the one, and everything comes together. Right? Well, if you marry him, they the one anyway. So you can't say that's the one over there. Y'all married is over. But um, it's important if you believe in the Bible. Um, The other side is it's really the Christian life is not a dot; it's a circle. So you really got a lot of options yeah. Yeah. on who you marry. Yeah. So it's not really the whole idea, I'm trying to find the one, and then you spirit, is, is that the one I prayed for, God? Is she the one whole hey God? God in the name of Jesus. And, but she godly, she loves Jesus. She wants to like, what are you praying about now? Like, do you like her or not? If you don't, don't marry her. Like, you understand know what I'm saying? Like, like, we, we so hyper-spiritualized marriage, like, God, I know it's sexy to say, God carved this person. No, we're all godly people in Christ, and all of us are his masterpiece. Yes. So there's no one person that's made particularly for you. Really, if you understand marriage, you spend the first year trying to figure out why I married this person sometimes. <laughs> you like, somebody, before you get married, we, we, we were made for my each God. other. You, be, you got your own little personal vows. And the first time I saw you, my arm locked like a Lego with your arm. And you went like that. Then, five months in, I'm sick of this. You always on my nerve. Why you? Because marriage, marriage is the, is, let me give you a good definition of marriage. Marriage is the process of two people becoming on the same page. It takes a life. I'm almost married 25 years, and I declare you, we still trying to figure this thing out. But marriage is about the commitment in the midst of those differences, to co- to endure with one another, to let Jesus make you one. That's very important. Um, And so, stop this. Is that the Lord, now, God, when I go here, I fasted for 13 days, and God, I'm waiting for the person that you said was going to be, like, stop it, okay? That's it. Now, another one. Stop making Ruth the prototype for you making yourself available. Ruth going to Boaz was not about Ruth wanting to get married. It was about her redeeming Naomi. And I say, that's a descriptive passage, not a prescriptive passage. I heard, some, I heard a church using that as a prototype for a woman doing that, and it's so much culture embedded in that. Go back to the Ruth series I did like 10 years ago and go listen to it. Last, and this is important, and I feel led to do this. Now, if you don't want to do it, let me know. Can you give me three? Just tell me no. You can tell me no publicly. Literally, I won't feel no kind of way, right? <laughs> give me, like me and you talked about this a little bit, three obstacles that you think... and this is coming out of this question, that you think three of the obstacles that you think that may care for a woman to be aware, like I'm not one of those pastors that say, the reason why you're not married is because you're not ready. We were never ready. No matter how godly you are, you ain't ready for that smoke. You ain't ready. We you can get all we got six months of premarital counseling, mentoring, and and we was in ministry and seminary and we still was lost, okay? So let's stop telling people they're not ready because their spiritual growth isn't to a certain point. Because that's just not a reality. It's not healthy either. But Dr. Sarita, there are things that can be obstacles to being found. What would you say? Like, you gave me a lot of them, but give me your give me your top three out of the hit list that you kind of oh said. Gosh.
3: Um, and can I say something after I say that
1: too? I mean, if you say yes, are you saying yes? I am going to say oh, okay, yes. Okay, okay. Yes, <laughs> Of <laughs> course, Pastor. I don't want Mark mad at me after the no, service. No, 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 no. want to put me in an arm um, the Air Force or something, Doc. <laughs> <laughs> um,
3: I would say one is, I guess we could call it almost emotional promiscuity. We talk a lot about sexual promiscuity, and what I think often happens is Because women value communication and intimacy, we can sometimes overshare too quickly. And we can open up ourselves and tell our deep, dark secrets as a means of trying to force intimacy through um, exaggerated and untimely vulnerability. Mm. And that can freak a man out, And and he doesn't deserve it. He doesn't deserve it as early as we often give it. Um, Another thing is I think we can be too accessible. Um, The question, it even kind of goes along with the question, how can I, you know, so a lot of times we're women are trying to figure out, I'm trying to be found, he seems like he's blind. How do I get on someone's radar? But I think we sometimes put too much effort into making sure outside of just normal interactions at work or wherever where you're going to be doing going about your business Mm -hmm. just to like not make the man ever miss you or ever want to arrange his life to figure out where you are Mm -hmm. um and if you make everything so easy see we often talk about things that women need to do that around sex and sexuality and physicality But I think sometimes when, you know, and I don't like to use the word thirsty in the sense because it can be derogatory, but I really pray that we would hunger and thirst after righteousness first. And if we got as excited about running after God the way we're trying to be available and noticed by men, our individual lives would be revolutionized. So I would say keep some mystery. There has to be some mystery and um, not make it so easy. I'm trying to think of some of that other stuff I sent you. But I but what else did I say? I was, I was prepared. I was prepared. <laughs> that is terrible. <laughs> um, so you know, something else I think is, you know, there's I think there and we don't talk a lot about this in terms of discipleship. I don't know if this is a parenting issue, mm-hmm. but I think that even without being Overly visible sexually, I think we are trying to often. Some women are trying to be too sensual, and we haven't really figured out the the what the difference is between classy versus sensual. Um, and I think that's important. Um, get excited too early about it's just like the first date, and we're already writing their last name next to ours, and you know, and and we're already picturing a future. Um, when we when we communicate with I don't need a man mentality, when we lead with that as a way of really that self-protection. So we're trying to be in relationship with a man, but something about either our verbiage or our behavior is communicating that we're not that in need of him. Um, too intense. Don't know how to just have fun in the early stages and keep it simple. Um, OK. Oh, and I think the other one is, I I think sometimes with women, and this is why I wanna say something after all these lists, uh, I think sometimes we think that our personal and private success, like our success in our career, our education, are automatic qualifiers um, for being a wife or what we think a man is looking for, and we're neglecting spiritual maturity, we're neglecting emotional, maturity, um, and those sorts of things. But if anyone wants to talk to me about this later, I have more and I'd be more than, than happy to talk through them. Yeah, that oh, needs
1: oh, to I be, to you good, sense. you good. That needs Sorry. to be a series.
3: But can I somewhere. do, can I add this to it? Yeah, go ahead. I, I will say this, um, and I'm, and, and I'm going to qualify this because this is definitely not man-hating. I love all my sisters and brothers. But I do think we as a church community have to begin to talk about what it means to have healthy relationships and and pursue healthy relationships for both men and women. Um, it is interesting to me that a lot of times these questions come up, and it seems like the only person interested in thinking about marriage or wondering about that are the women. And there, and, and when we talk about um, all these ways in which to be found and let him find you, men are hunters, when we go through that, it the presumption is that there are healthy men. W- Waiting and contemplating biblically how to look for a godly woman. And I think we have to begin to talk about the fact that we have a lot of unhealthy, broken, emotionally, you know, stunted um, and arrested development even among manhood. Because I think when we have these conversations, it's almost like just wait on and then we presume the godly, good man. And I want us all to come up. Like we all need to grow up. We all need to mature. You know, I'm, you know, back in the day, the conversations for women used to be around, don't choose the wild guy because so many guys were pursuing and I'm just wondering what happened so that we are in a generation where it doesn't appear, at least through the sisters I communicate with, that are godly sisters. Because godly women who are single, we can't also assume that they're out here wilding out and showing their body. There are some godly women who are trying to stand firm and wait on God and believe God. And the question is, where are the men? Are there no men that wanna be married anymore? You know, God put in us sexuality to even begin the drive toward wanting to be united with someone then we got to put gospel and boundaries around it so i just i want to say without talking much longer that i think we do need to begin to have a more comprehensive conversation in the church about manhood development womanhood development and give people a picture and a hope of both what men and women can do to come together if that is amen. if god has not called
1: you to singleness amen amen Amen. Amen. As we close, I think we do probably need to do something on relationships and where people are. Um, would y'all want to hear something like that? Church and relationships. Because um, I do think um, men have settled into the enjoyment of life and benefits without the need to get married. I know that's what it is. Um, and so we'll talk more about that. How many of y'all, y'all enjoy this panel? Y'all enjoyed it? Was it helpful? Amen. Amen. Um, Well, if you don't know Jesus, um, you see how much you have to work through (laughs) and how much his mind gives you the ability to think clearly on every issue of life. Um, And so if you don't know him, you can put your confidence in him through his death and resurrection. Um, Our time has uh, uh, fleeted us, but I think we've used it very, very well. Let's prepare our hearts and minds for communion. Communion is... Communion is a reminder that we're in Christ. During this series, I've emphasized the fact that Christian freedom has more to do what we're freed to than what we're locked away from. And Christ died that we would have freedom so that we can say yes. To him and no to whatever he says no to. Is there anyone here that wants to take communion? That's a believer that wants to take communion, but uh, um, but you don't have communion, the elements, and so you want to partake. Anyone? Anyone? Someone over here and over there, up in the balcony. Two in the balcony <laughs> up here, and then someone over this way. They're almost served, so why don't we... Uh, why don't we start standing on our feet, y'all? We're one body, and we're free uh, to love one another and love Christ. Christ died and gave us his body to make us one. Let's walk in one. Let's, let's eat together. His blood gave us his DNA. And so there's no distinction in us spiritually because he gave his life that we would have it. Let's drink together. Before I do the benediction, um, don't forget the social is happening in less than um, an hour. So we're gonna be there, I'm gonna be there the whole time. I'm looking forward to seeing you all there. Very, very quickly, we need to transition. So after this, if you guys can, uh, who are not uh, members of Epiphany, just transition out. We need to have. I want to make it 15 minutes because I want to get there on time. You know, parking is going to be an animal a little bit. So some of you may catch a train or carpool, but I want to get down there and spend as much time with my family uh, as we can together. Amen? amen. 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 So we'll be right in here for about 15 minutes. And we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna transition in five minutes. And so let's do it. Now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before his throne with exceeding gladness and joy. To him, our God and Savior, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power both now and forever. Everybody agree with that said? Amen. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. See you at the rooftop. Hello, this is Dr. Eric Mason, founder and pastor of Epiphany Fellowship. Thank you for tuning in today. Hopefully the word of God was a blessing to you. Also, if you want to help us build the kingdom from Philly and beyond,